0: and it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. For our scripture reading this morning, I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 15 verses 29 to 39, and just to put it in context for you folks, you may remember last week Jesus was ministering in the area of Tyre and Sidon, so the verse starts out with Matthew 15 verse 29, Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Then moving on to verse 32. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciple answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he'd given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went on to the vicinity of Magdon. May the Lord honour and bless his word. Thank you. Thanks, Ed. So good. Good morning again.
1: Uh, Great to be with you and uh, again to those of you who are watching online, um, why don't you just take a moment and turn to your neighbour and say, you look good. (laughs) Do that. Yeah. You look good. All right. And for those of you at home, uh, if you're alone, look in the mirror, you look good, right? And uh, for those at home, just a reminder that at the end of our service, we're going to be sharing in the Lord's Supper, and so I want to encourage you, maybe grab the elements, uh, it can be anything, bread, cracker, uh, juice, and be prepared. We'd love for you to join in that practice. So good. Why don't we just pray for a moment and pause? In this quiet moment, we just acknowledge, God, you are here. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak? Would you lead? Breathe your life on us, we pray. Lead us, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Well, again, as God mentioned, we're in the series in the gospel according to Matthew. And as I mentioned earlier... Today, we're looking at how Jesus miraculously feeds a multitude of people. Uh, last year on Easter Sunday, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000 plus women and children, which would be probably like 10 or 15,000. And today is the feeding of the 4,000 plus their families. But in Matthew, you've got to know that these are just two chapters apart chapter 14, chapter 15. And they're crazy good stories. And I don't want to give kind of the climax away, but uh, I love how it sort of culminates in verse 37 where it says, they all ate and were satisfied. Isn't that a great line? They all ate and were satisfied. It's a beautiful picture of what God can do when he breaks into a situation. But the story doesn't start there. The story starts with a harsh reality. It starts with hunger. And the reality is, is we live in a very hungry world. And so instead of waiting to the end of the service for a point of application, here's one right now. Why not this week provide food for someone? You know, make a meal for friends. Uh, you know, take, uh, bake something for your neighbors, cookies or something like that. Take donuts to work, not the cheap donuts. I'm talking about the expensive donuts. those $4. No, you can buy cheap donuts too. Tim Hortons is okay, they're adequate. Um, bring in a, a donation for the food bank. You can do that. That'd be a real practical outworking of this story. It's just kind of an obvious thing is feed the hungry. But let me ask you on this theme of hunger, have you ever been hungry? I mean, really hungry. When I thought about this, I, I mean, I get caffeine headaches when I don't drink coffee, but I don't think I've ever been truly hungry. By by hunger, I I don't mean kind of just a grumbly, growly stomach. I'm talking about where your body begins to cannibalize itself in order to stay alive, right? I might say say things like, I'm starving. (laughs) But I, I think ours is the only culture that can have fridges jammed with food and open the doors and say there's nothing to eat. <laughs> As someone once said, we are a stuffed culture with food to spare, even food to waste. Jesus came into a world very, very different than that. I, I don't know if we know what it is like to be two or three days away from starvation, but that's the kind of world Jesus entered. So it's fascinating to me that, that Jesus at the beginning of his ministry under the leading of the Holy Spirit, went into the desert and fasted from food for 40 days. By the way, that 40 days is one of the inspirations behind this season of Lent that we're entering. (laughs) Lent, as we heard earlier, is a time where we might consider some kind of fasting, going without. It might be going without food or going without alcohol or, or going without dessert or sugar or something like that. A time of going without something to learn the kind of lessons that only hunger can teach us. So Jesus fasted 40 days. Well, there's a lot going there in that story, especially his kind of identifying with Israel in their 40 days in the wilderness. I think the fundamental reason Jesus went out into the desert was this, to know in his bones the world that he was ministering to. He could identify. He'd come to know in his own vulnerability, and the weakness of his body, and the faintness of his flesh, what it was to be hungry, to know a world that was so hungry. So no wonder that Jesus put at the very center of the prayer that he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> That's how dependent that world was. I mean, we don't pray that much in our world today, right? I mean, we've got for goodness sakes look back there there's a table full of leftover bread that you can just go and grab after the service thank you cobs so praying for our daily bread might be odd for us it wouldn't have been odd in jesus world no wonder jesus said to hungry people i am the bread of life (laughs) he knew that that was good news to a hungry world so how did jesus respond to this need one word, compassion. Verse 33, Jesus says, I have compassion for this people. We see this again and again through all the stories of Matthew, but we see it especially in the feeding stories. By the way, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is in all four Gospels, and uh, the feeding of the 4,000 is in two, Matthew and Mark. And this, this whole idea of Jesus seeing the crowd, sees their need, he has compassion it's such a beautiful quality of Jesus. Now, the disciples of Jesus, they, uh, they watch this whole story unfold. They see Jesus' response of compassion to the crowds. They can kind of see the trajectory of where this is going. But I'm thinking the disciples are feeling a little less than compassion. I, I think they might have been feeling maybe frustrated or annoyed or stressed, maybe even anger or resentment But I don't think they're feeling compassion. That's just a thought. By the way, it's interesting that Jesus does something before he feeds the crowd. According to the compassion he feels, the first thing he does is he heals people. He takes sick people who are, you know, so broken, so hurting, and he makes them well. Listen to the description again. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. So he healed. By the way, this is something God loves to do. If God has one agenda for your life, I believe it's to heal you in every way you need to be healed. Amen? And then we can assume, some, assume from some of the other feeding accounts or miracles of Jesus, the second thing he does is he teaches them. One of the Gospels says Jesus taught them many things. Another specifies that he taught them about the kingdom of God. Do you know what good news this is to the people? Do you know why? That's a compassionate response to the hunger and brokenness and weariness of the people. That there is a kingdom of God, and you do not have to be rich, you do not have to have a well stocked pantry. You don't have to be talented. And actually, you don't even have to be good to be part of it. You just have to want it. And Jesus knows these are people who are actually oppressed by kingdoms. Think Herod. Think think Rome. They lived under kingdoms that could, you know, do whatever they wanted, that were so oppressive in so many ways. In a very real way, these people were oppressed by kingship But they learn from Jesus that there is a kingdom, there is a good king who's on the watch and on the move, and they can come into his kingdom. That's compassion. Then in verse 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. I want you to notice here, Jesus doesn't actually give his followers any kind of instruction here. He doesn't say, go feed them. In the feeding story that we find of the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14, Jesus says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. (laughs) A very clear assignment. Not in this story. In, in, In this account, he just kind of expresses the need. I have compassion for these people. They have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry. He doesn't give the disciples direction here. He just Shares his heart. He shares his desire. It, it kind of tells me that there's a couple at least a couple ways that God speaks to us. Sometimes he gives you an assignment, and it's just really clear. It's really direct. He's asking to meet a need to minister to do something. I think of Terry's story that she shared um, before Christmas or during Advent, where she was. She talked about how she was walking along the street in winter and saw a homeless person on the street, and uh, she kind of heard from God in that moment: "Give that person your gloves." She didn't do it actually, <laughs> but it changed her life because she knew that was God's assignment, and that the next time she was in that situation, she gave away her gloves. It was really, really powerful. Some of these know. Some of you know this. You've had God speak to you in a very direct way. He's given you some kind of assignment that's been really go here, do this. Some of you know that, right? You've had that happen to you. That's one of the ways God speaks. Um, You've got a, a friend who's in trouble, a neighbor whose marriage is breaking up, and you just know God wants you to do something, you know, to show care, to listen, to pray, maybe all of the above. But sometimes, because God becomes a friend to us, and friends confide in one another, and sometimes God confides in us what's going on in his heart. I have compassion for these people, Jesus says. So I'd say this way of God speaking to us can, can happen as we study the life of Jesus and just look at how crazy radically he loved people, uh, the outsiders and the least of these, and people that were in that culture unlovable, tax collectors and sinners, right? And it can also happen when God breaks our hearts over the need in a world, a real need. Like what happened to many of us this last couple of weeks is we've seen this drama unfold in Turkey and Syria and the devastation that that has brought. That breaks our heart, and we know that we're in sync with God's heart because his heart breaks over that kind of devastation as well. Maybe it's injustice. I think of Graham, one of our church family who works for Ratanak, an organization that does ministry with the trafficked, sex trafficked in Cambodia. Amazing ministry. They're doing some amazing work. But it all started because an RCMP officer who was on a a work trip to Cambodia had his heart devastated by what he saw, the suffering he saw. A little girl named Ratnak who who died because she didn't have a $3 medicine. And he said, that's not going to happen on my watch. And he's brought about all kinds of change to Cambodia, even on a national level, because he, was, uh, he had his heart broken for what breaks the heart of God. So sometimes it's the, the brokenness that, that happens from outside. Sometimes it's the brokenness from within. God, we, we can sense that God's heart breaks over something that's going on in us. He puts his finger on something. And, and I wonder, in, even in this moment, what is God breaking your heart over these days? Maybe he's given you an assignment that's just really clear. You need to walk that out, and I'd say go for it. Maybe he's just stirring um, and you're sensing uh, something that God is doing in you that is something that God cares about. I'd pursue that. So, in our apprenticeship with Jesus, we actually seek to listen for his instructions. We do that a lot, often through just even reading the word. We pay attention to those assignments, but we also seek to keep, I would suggest, pliable hearts, open to the needs around us, open eyes to to what God is doing in our world and what he cares about, and having our heart be broken for what breaks God's heart, and then respond. Well, the disciples do know what Jesus wants to do here. Feed the people. (laughs) It's pretty clear. Verse 33, his disciples answered. Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Where, Jesus? We are in the middle of nowhere. There is no Costco or Safeway or Cobbs or no frills. It's, uh, it's interesting in the feeding of the 5,000 account, especially the one recorded in the Gospel, Gospel of John. The crowds are there, and Jesus actually initiates a conversation with Philip. It's quite telling about food. And he asks Philip, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? And and, and he's asking it kind of in a real positive way. And then John provides this little note of what Jesus is doing here. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answers like this, eight months wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. It's this great little exchange between Jesus and Philip. Jesus is asking a question at one level, and Philip is answering that question at another level. Jesus is asking a where question, it's a faith question. And Philip responds with a how response. He heard Jesus' question as a like budget question, <laughs> or logistics question, or, or a strategy question. Those are very, two very different ways to have this conversation. And I kind of wonder whether many of us might miss Jesus' invitation to join him in God's mission in this broken world because when he asks a where question, we answer with a how. You now God gives us a dream. He invites us to have faith or to step out in some way to trust him. Invites us to take some kind of risk that he's put on your heart, to be bold. And we sometimes hear that, and we're asking, how are we going to pay for that? Like, who's going to join me in this? Church-wide, where are we going to get the volunteers for that? The problem's too big. I, I was wondering this week, how many God stories don't happen because we're asking, how can this possibly be? How can we do this? You see, folks, when we're obsessing over the how question, what we're really assuming is that God is unwilling to meet the needs of a broken world. That it all reduces to how clever we are in our resources, and in our capacities, in our budgets. And I don't think that is the response that God blesses. When God asks a question of us, we can already see it's what he wants to do, what he has in mind. In a sense, he's just testing us. And some of us, I wonder if we're missing the kingdom of God because we're asking the how question first to the where question of Jesus. I couldn't help but think of this Last year, as a church, this building with a mission project where we planned to upgrade our facility so that it could continue on being a center of ministry, (laughs) so it could be a a center, really, of God's blessing for the neighborhood. Honestly, I I think there were times during this last year where we got bogged down with some of the wrong questions. How is this possible? How can we do this? Where's the money going to come from? It's a recession, or it feels like one. We're coming out of a pandemic. There's all kinds of that going on. It's a lot of money. I think we did a lot of obsessing over the how, and yet look what happened as we went forward and stepped out. God has shown us he will provide again and again and again. God has come through. He's provided leaders. He's provided resources. He's provided finances, uh, expertise. And, And look at the place. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, I think it's meant to be a sign to us what God can do when we actually step out and say yes to Him. And we also know this that material things are not the ministry. The ministry is people who are willing to say, I will go, send me, use me, lead me. That's ministry. Well, the disciples asked the where question, as in, where are we going to get bread for all these people? And I love Jesus' answer. He says, what do you have? (laughs) What do you have? Just take a look at the pantry for a moment here, guys. What do you have? How many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. Now, interesting, Jesus doesn't say to that, okay, go and see if you can wrangle up a little bit more before you do something. like Peter, Costco, you know, Philip, Cobb's, (laughs) John, Safeway, (laughs) seven loaves and a few fish, Jesus doesn't even blink an eye at such a small offering. Not at all. (laughs) He just takes what's available. It's kind of an old lesson, but what strikes me about this is how God can take what we offer, even when it seems like it's little in our eyes, and with God, it's enough. At our staff retreat last week, we were asking the question, it was just a remarkable time, we were asking, what had God done in our church in the last year? We were making notes of that, and we filled up a page of, of things that we'd seen God do in the last 12 months of our church. And it was interesting, one of the themes that we identified while we were there was, a lot of it happened in our weakness as a church. This was not a story about us doing it for God. It was God doing it for us, big time. It was just so striking how God worked through our lack and our weakness and our vulnerability. And friends, it was remarkable just how much grace there was on our church this last year. And it wasn't about our strategy our capability, our strength, our togetherness, our strategies. It was so much about God's strength in our weakness. Even when we feel like we have nothing to give, God can use us. I love this quote from Billy Graham's daughter, Ann Graham Lotz. Listen to this. She said, ministry is giving when you feel like keeping. (laughs) Praying for others when you need to be prayed for. Feeding others... When your own soul is hungry. Living truth before people even when you can't see results. Hurting with other people even when your own hurt can't be spoken. Keeping your word even when it's not convenient. It is being faithful when your flesh wants to run away. Some of you have lived a life of service for a long time and... and I would suggest that some of your glory moments have been not when you've been at your strongest. It's been when you've been, at, when you've been weak. <laughs> you felt like just things were crumbling around you, and yet somehow you said that kind word, you did that thing, you joined that ministry, even though it felt like you had nothing to give or very little to offer. So don't be surprised when some of the opportunities that come your way come to you in seasons of lack. Seasons of little, when you're feeling so tired. Seven loaves, few fish. For this need, God can use whatever you offer and make available to him. When you're weak, he's strong. Sometimes on Sunday mornings when I'm praying before the service, I I, kind of go, man, I feel like I got one loaf today. This is not a five loaves, two fish sermon. This is like a loaf sermon today. Or, or, or I, I imagine like a little smelt. I've got a tiny little fish that Jesus is going to have to break up and feed the people with. Um, to be frank, I actually felt that today, ironically. You know what? I don't know where those seven fish and uh, those seven loaves and little fish came from. But somebody had it. Maybe it was all that somebody had. And they gave everything that they had. I, I think that's probably true. But all Jesus needs is one person to say yes and give what they have. That's it. It's amazing what will happen if just one person of faith will give what they have to give. What an act of trust that is. Look what happens. Verse 36, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground and they took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples And they, in turn, gave them to the people. Jesus uh, multiplies the meal, which is crazy good. (laughs) And the kingdom really breaks out. The the disciples now are are not so hesitant. They actually now have stepped up and begun to distribute the food. The people get to see a visible demonstration of what Jesus has just been teaching them. You see, I, I think the kingdom of God really needs only two things. It it, it needs someone to say, yes, I will give what I have. And it involves people willing to say, okay, I'm in on this. And then just get busy serving. That's it. And look what happens. The climax of the story, they all ate and were satisfied. And afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You You know, when people begin to say yes to God... Not making excuses, not reducing the kingdom of God to our strategy and our capacity and our resources, but just saying yes to God, as impractical as it may seem, a couple things happen. One, everybody gets what they want. They all ate and were satisfied. And two, there's more than enough. There's actually leftovers. Uh, Somebody prayed for me this morning that my cup would overflow and that my saucer would get wet. I like that. I think that's a great prayer. (laughs) Wet saucers is what we should be aiming for, right, folks? They all ate, were satisfied, and they had lots to share. The opposite, I think, can also be true. If you live into the scarcity mentality with resistance to the where question, whenever people evade the mission of God, I think they will be chronically dissatisfied and there will not be enough to go around. I I know this is true. I've been a pastor a long time now and I've seen this. So the question is, which mentality will we take? I believe Jesus is speaking to us as a church. I I think we've seen some of the ministries he's already opened up to us through a yes, God spirit. But I I don't even think we've seen or tasted what he has in mind to do. I don't, I don't think we've seen the scope and a sweep of the things that God has in mind for us to do, and I suspect we won't until we say, yes, God. I think this week, every one of us is going to have opportunities where Jesus is going to confront us personally with a where question. <laughs> Let's not, instinctively respond with a how question. Because it'll probably seem improbable or impossible or impractical. But if we reduce it to those things at the outset we might miss the whole thing and Jesus is inviting us to have a heart of faith and to to give what we have. And it might be, I I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. But God, here I am. (laughs) Here I am, send me. And the more we live into that, I think the more satisfied we will be. And amazingly enough, we'll have enough and there'll be more to share. Jesus comes to men and to women and to children and to youth every day and asks the question Where can I find one person to join me in what I am doing in this hungry world? Is that you? As you go out from here, resolve to answer the Lord. Here I am. I don't know how this is going to work, but I don't need to know how. Lord, you already know what you want to do. So here I am. Use me. Send me. Here's what I have. It's yours. Let's pray for a moment. Just sense there's an invitation from Jesus to you today. Have you heard it? Why don't you take a moment and respond? You might just pray along that time. Here I am, Lord. You see what I have? I offer it to you. Send me into your broken, hungry world to do what you want me to do.